people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. United Armies of the Spoilerverse, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth and that's Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Gary Cohn, isn't it? It is. It is. He's a writer. He's been writing for a long time. Created Blue Devil. Created Amethyst. Yep. He also co-created Barren Earth with Ron Randall in a backup of Warlord, which yep. is pretty cool because, yep. you know, everybody knows Ron Randall is a, a friend of ours. It's just another example of another legend coming on the show. Yeah. And talking about all the, just the medium that we love. It is, and we should. I, I have to say this first because, and I, we're all going to listen to the interview with Casey all together because I haven't listened to it yet. But his very first work, yeah, was on a three-page story called "On the Day of His Return," published in Time Warp number three from 1980, drawn by Steve Ditko. Oh, cool! I mean, to have your first work drawn by a legendary Steve Ditko—that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah, at that time, Ditko had been in the industry for 20-plus years already and yeah. drawn amazing things like Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that would be amazing. Could you, could you say Amazing more in that sentence? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could. <laughs> amazing. <with> that, <laughs> let's hear Gary You know Cohen. what's funny? Wait, what? before oh, we oh. do that, before we do, come on. All right. You can't call me out like that. Yes, I can. And, and no, what I'm saying, you can't call me out like that and let me retort. I could try. <laughs> Fail if I tried. <laughs> As I was saying it, in my head, I'm like, stop saying amazing. Don't say amazing again. Why do you keep saying amazing? <laughs> and that's all you can think of is the word amazing? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Have you ever done that? All the time. Ugh. All the time. All right, guys. And as the docking, docking, as the barking do- dogs <laughs> dictated, it's time to listen in on Gary Cullen and his own words. Hello. Hey, Gary Cullen. Yeah, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. How you doing, man? This is Casey from Spoiler Country. And yeah, sorry about all the, the hubbaloo, man. I am, dude, today has been... A nightmare. <laughs> Many so, days um, are like that lately. What was your nightmare Yeah, I know, about? right? So, uh, okay, so apparently being stuck at home means my, to my wife that, oh, all, all this stuff needs to happen now. Like all the home improvement stuff that we've been putting off, which, I mean, it can, it you know. So my, my father-in-law comes and he decides he's going to paint the living room as a birthday gift to my wife. So he's paint, he's finishing up the painting and his best friend calls him. And I hear him on the phone talking to my father-in-law and he says, oh yeah, just come on by, man. 
And I looked at Don. I said, man, we're trying to do the social distancing thing. This, Don's my father-in-law. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, Scott, Scott's okay. And it's, I'm like, it's not, it's, you know, whether Scott's okay or not, it's, you know, I, we have two small children. I want them to be well. So he pitched a fit and Scott came by. The kids were put up in a different room. I was just like, we'll just lice all the hell out of the house when he leaves. So we're, we're finishing up doing the touch-ups. The tarp has been removed off the floor and Don sees one more piece of that he, he needs to touch up. And I said, I'll, I'll get you a cup and you can pour a little bit of paint in there and you can, you can handle it. He said, no, just bring me the whole thing. I'm washing paintbrushes out in the kitchen and I hear, Oh no, I run into the run into the living room paint all over the floor, all over the wall that we did not paint, all over a guitar that a good friend, my best friend in the world made for me a few years ago for Christmas, paint all over a cabinet that my great grandfather had made. And so now we're replacing the carpet. (laughs) So today I pulled up the old carpet. I've been pulling up staples and stuff out of the subflooring. And my wife looked at me a minute ago. I'd stopped to grab a beer out of the fridge. She said, you have an interview in 15 minutes. I said, oh, crap. Like today has gone by so fast. But how has your day been? Uneventful. (laughs) (laughs) This this has been a... so a no redneck over your floor. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm mostly home. I'm finishing up a couple of college classes I was teaching online. So I've been getting essays from students by email and responding to them. And that's really what I've been up to. It's you know, it's downtime. I'm so I'm, what uh, what do you teach? What do you teach in at college? I've been teaching freshman composition now. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, it's, I was a New York <laughs> City high school teacher for a long time. Yeah, and yeah. I see that you were uh, a history and government teacher, in, and you retired uh, back in 2014. I was also an English teacher. I was... Uh, oh, nice. Okay. A number of different things, and as, as you noticed, I've, I retired in 2014 and moved to Richmond from New York City. So how how was that? What was the uh, impetus behind that? I want some place that was quieter than New York, easier to get around, slower paced, less expensive, because once I retired, I wasn't going to be able to afford the life to which I'd become accustomed. So that was it. That was the motivation. Nice. Nice. And Virginia is a beautiful state. There are so many um, amazing things there. And as a history buff, you've got plenty of things to choose from. So yeah, yeah, my my folks are from the Carolinas, so mm-hmm. we we've been all up around that area. It's it's really nice. Richmond turned out. I don't you know it, it's hard to say what our new reality is going to be because everything's going to change. But Richmond has been a very nice city. It's a college town, so it's got. Most of the things you want from a college town. It's got a great big university, so it's pretty hip. It's progressive. It's got great restaurants, art, music, some good museums. It's really a great city. What that's going to be like post everything, hard to say. You know, there are a lot of industries I don't think are going to survive. I think the restaurant industry is 
kind of doomed. We're we're going to see some some big changes, and what that means going forward, I don't know. I think we're we're in for far far worse than most people are imagining. And I for a long time. I agree. It's it's the new normal is uh, going to be pretty interesting and not in a good mm-hmm. way. Right. In the meantime, I'm hanging on to whatever whatever of the old normal I can. And <laughs> and waiting to see what happens. You know, I feel like we're at the end of the movie the thing. Let's just sit here for a while and see what happens. And I'm I'm sure as this is as a history buff I think this is kind of unprecedented as as to the current situation, what we're dealing with, and and the you know how people are reacting to it. It is, it is. I'm sure you know the term the singularity. Oh yeah. Are you, this is not the singularity I was expecting, but it's 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 a singular moment in 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 global history. By the way, are we are we? In interview process, or are we just getting acquainted? We right now? we are we are in process right now. Good. <laughs> we, Good. we started That's recording from from Word One. If 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 there's anything that you talk about that you don't want, you know, on the podcast, by all means, let mm-hmm. me know. It's no big deal. So if you say like, oh, "I wish I wouldn't have said I wanted to punch John Bryan in the face," oh, I'll go <laughs> okay. I'm sure um, you don't want to okay. do that, but you know. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I got I, I never I don't know that I've ever even had a word or two with John Byrne. I, I know I saw him around the DC offices once or twice, but but don't know anything about the guy. I like his work. So and that's <laughs> that's pro- probably something I would say about just about anybody in the industry that I've interacted with. Oh, that's I, nice. I, that's I, nice. So so can, can we get into that? How did you get into comics to begin with? You know, it's funny because I started doing conventions again. When I was a teacher, I did this powerful whammy on myself. And how I got to be a teacher was kind of a long, long convoluted, long, strange trip. I was 48 years old when I first entered a classroom as a New York City high school teacher. (laughs) Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. I had chased the the writing will o the wisp for 20 years i've always been back and forth between writing and academia and teaching so when my then wife and i came to new york in 1980 it was to work for dc comics and i was under the misapprehension that i'd been offered a job it turned out i had not been but dan mishkin and i had started selling stories to them. So one of us needed to be in New York. He was married to a doctor. She had a position in Michigan and they weren't going anywhere. I was married to a Cleveland girl who had always wanted to see the city and I had grown up in New York. So we moved to New York. Um, how How we started selling stories. Dan is an old friend of mine. Dan and I have been, we were just talking this weekend with three other friends of ours. We're having a group conference. and One of them is the newcomer to our friendship. We've only known him. I've only known him for 51 years. <laughs> the, 
the the other three I've known for somewhere between fifty four and fifty five years. And oh wow! Yeah, so Dan and I are, are very old friends. We've known each other since we were fourteen and fifteen years old, and we sort of followed each other around through college. I went to an upstate New York college as a freshman. I didn't like it at all. He had ended up at Michigan State because uh, his grades were much better than mine. He had applied to a lot of high-powered schools, and Michigan State was his state his safe school. And it turned out that was the only one that accepted him. So he had had a great experience at Michigan State. I wasn't going to go back to school ever. I was done. Um, I was going to spend – maybe I'd go to community college, but I was going to be – living in New York on Long Island, studying karate. I started doing martial arts that summer, and I thought, this is it. This is the thing I'm going to do with my life. And then the draft lottery came along, and I got number two in the draft lottery. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, you know, I couldn't even get number one. You know, if you're going <laughs> to bomb out of the draft lottery, at, at least you want number one. But I, I came up with zero, zero, two. And I... Just because I kind of wanted to uh, give myself an option, I'd applied to Michigan State, and they'd accepted me. So by my sophomore year, Dan and I were roommates. When we graduated, I went back to New York to work construction for a while. I was never going back to school again. And this was it. I was going to be digging holes and knocking down walls and putting tar on rooftops. And I had this boss, um, Bill Longnecker, who was... Basically, Bill was everything that John Wayne pretended to be. This guy was for real. Physically, much on the same scale, too. And he had this great knack for seeing when I was at my most miserable in a hole digging crap or whatever. And for, <laughs> for, for coming up to me when I was filthy and sweating and miserable and, and saying, so when are you going back to school, kid? <laughs> and, and, of course, for the first few months, it was never, never, this is it. And, in fact, a professor mentor of mine had arranged for a, a graduate assistantship at Bowling Green State University in popular culture studies. And I had, because I was an idiot and I was only you know, 21 years old, I was an idiot. I'd snarled at him, don't, you're not my father, don't try to make my life. I'm going to be a construction worker forever. He said, okay, fine. A few months later, I gave him a call. I said, Glenn, do you still have that assistantship open? <laughs> and, and he said, yes. Yeah. So I ended up Bowling Green. Dan got That's married. Awesome. Dan went to North Carolina to follow Karen. Karen got some sort of appointment as a resident somewhere near Bowling Green. And Dan came to Bowling Green. So now we're in the same office together being teaching assistants. And he started correspondence with editors at DC and Marvel. This is people ask me, how do you get into the comic book industry? And I said, I can tell you how to do it in 1980. It's not going to do you a whole lot of good, but I can tell you how to do it in 1980. <laughs> in 1980, you you start a personal correspondence, letters, actual actual snail mail letters, with people like Jack Harris, and eventually Jack Harris and says. Start sending me some plot ideas. So we sent him some plot ideas. I don't like that. And more and more. And finally, he zeroed in on one. And he said, I like this. Give me a three-page script for uh, Time Warp, number one. And we did. 
And to our, our great delight, he gave it to Steve Ditko to draw. Oh, wow. And, and since the page rate was $18 a page, we saw 27 bucks a piece, which was <laughs> just enough to take our, our, our wives to the best Chinese restaurant, actually the only Chinese restaurant in Bowling Green, Ohio. Um, <laughs> it, it was a good one. It was one that had ketchup on the tables. Oh yeah, fancy, yeah, fancy. It, yeah, ketchup, ketchup is not the usual condiment in Chinese restaurants, but I guess in Bowling Green, Ohio, in 1979, <laughs> uh, and a few months later, we sold another story, and pretty soon, as these things go, we were selling fairly regularly enough for one of us to be in New York to kind of be the guy, because again, no internet, you had to be able to walk into the office and schmooze and go to editors offices and introduce yourself to the people you didn't know greet the people you did know and hi how you doing do you have anything so i was the guy who did that and so i was in new york so i, I chased writing for <clears throat> a while we we were doing very well and then by 1985 not so well, and particularly me, not so well, for a whole lot of reasons. My marriage ended, my dad died, I got everything, everything kind of collapsed around me. And I started missing deadlines, and and it was suggested to me that maybe I should take a break. And it became a very long break. So at that point, <clears throat> I found a college, and I started to, to teach English composition as an adjunct. And for the next 20 years, those two were the staples. I'd have times when I was making some money as a writer. I had my time when I was convinced that academia was it, to the point where I went into a doctoral program in U.S. history. And I finished the doctoral program, and I was about to uh, start my dissertation. I met this guy in my neighborhood. You know what? These guys who publishes his own independent comic around 1994 and you know i got looked down on that that's that's vanity publishing but he was this guy the guy in the local comic shop had said you should meet this guy and i got his comic and it was pretty good it was she number one he was billy tucci i have that one and it's amazing yeah so we became friends and around the third issue and we started talking about comics and 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 the second issue, I think I looked over and made a few editorial remarks. And by the third issue, he said, would you like to edit this book? And I said, okay. So that was the end of me writing a dissertation because for the next two years, I was on the, the wild um, Nantucket sleigh ride that was the first couple of years of, of Crusade Comics. That, that's and, amazing. And, yeah, it was great. It was a terrific experience, and he is a dear friend to this day. So <clears throat> at the end of that, though, he kind of downsized because he tried doing his line of black and white books, and, and a number of things didn't work out. The Atomic Angels book didn't work out. And so he pared back down to just him doing doing the book, and I was interested in doing my own self-publishing. And bunch of things happened. I hooked up with these Korean guys. We put out two 
issues of what I think is a beautiful comic that nobody saw. And <clears throat> in, I guess, December of 1996, I had lined up a lot of work for the following year, like $40,000 worth of work that would be done by the ninth month. So I was saying, I'm looking at like a $50,000 a year. I've never even had that. And in one week, it all went away. I mean, oh, it just, no. one company collapsed. They just didn't have any money. I think it was at the same time as the the Western publishing debacle. I think my friend Robin Snyder was an editor there. We'd been planning for me to do a bunch of work for him. Uh, book got canceled. Just everything went away in a week. Oh, man. What, was this around the same time that the bubble burst for, like, the uh, collector's yes. market? Yes. This was, like, I think, 97. It was 96. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, a Late lot 90. of heads rolled right around that time. Ugh. And and I was with, a at that point, <clears throat> a pretty pragmatic woman who is a VP at, at Simon & Schuster and said, We've been together for eight years. You can't just keep doing this. You've got to do something solid. Why don't you go back to school? And it turned out because I'd been teaching at this one college for, at that point, 10 years, every course I taught gave me the equal number of credits in what they call tuition reciprocity. And as far as I know, nobody does this anymore. But if I taught three credits, I could take three credits. And I had 15 credits. And it turned out that to get my teaching certification, I need 18 credits worth of education courses. So <laughs> at 40, yeah, so at 45, 46 years old, I decided to become a New York City high school teacher. That is wild. So were, were you used to being around kids at, before then? Was that something that was kind of you were familiar with? I can't imagine dealing with, you know, a room full of teenagers at, at you know, in, in my 40s. I'd taught college. And oh, well, yeah. Good point. So, good point. And and not only had I taught college, but one of the things I'd done as, a, as an adjunct was there was a program where visiting professors went to high school classes, AP classes. And by my presence and, and interaction with their teacher – would give them advanced placement credits. So I was used to dealing with with the more academically motivated kids that didn't entirely prepare me for the clientele I found when I was a New York <laughs> City teacher. But do, you, do you have any horror stories from that? I'll get to one, sure. Well, not horror <laughs> stories. I, I, I never didn't love my students. There are a lot of times when I didn't love my admin, but I never didn't love my students. That That's the way my wife feels. My wife is a kindergarten teacher, and she feels uh, the same way. The, every single kid in her classroom is her baby. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're five, so mm-hmm. they're, they are babies. But the admin, most of the time, are garbage. Most of the time. I've met some great ones, but most of the time, admin is... And e- and even if your immediate admin isn't, the bureaucracy is uh, is stacked yes. against you. So, in any event, when I finally first got hired, I said, "This is it," because I knew what teaching entailed in terms of your time and commitment. 
And I also knew that whenever I'd been in public and a party or something, and somebody said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a writer. I'd get to reaction, wow. But they were usually wow reactions. You know, that's cool, blah, blah, blah. Where do you get your ideas? You know, the answer to that is how do I turn them off long enough to focus on one? But people would give you the standard stuff. But I knew what that conversation was like, and it was ego inflating. And I also knew what the conversation is like when you tell somebody you're a teacher. And it's not ego inflating. <laughs> they, 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 they generally start to badmouth teaching. They're experts in education. They tell you about the worst teachers they ever had. So I knew I, that was part of what I was in, into. So I spent 15 minutes staring in the bathroom mirror one night, eyes locked on my eyes. And I performed a powerful magic. I repeated an incantation. I said, I'm not a writer. I'm a teacher. I'm not a writer. I'm a teacher. And when I turned away, I wasn't a writer anymore. And for 14 years, with only a few exceptions, the only writing I did was in my role as a teacher. So, so that was how I – go ahead. That that's heavy. That that's that's seems like a uh, a hard thing to do once you've you've been following that you know the the thread of you know when I work for a company that I build flexible endoscopes that go down people's urethras. Well, I, I've I've had so, <laughs> I've had endoscopies. So. At the end of the okay. day, I, I don't go home and like I make wiener tubes. That's my job. <laughs> I'm a wiener tube maker. So but but on the flip side, if you are a writer, that is something, you know, if you're at a cocktail party and somebody goes, Oh, so what do you do for a living? Oh, I am a writer. That that's like a boom dropping you know that's dropping your dropping your who you are on the table and you know for the world to see so it seems like yep. a, a kind of a, a hard punch to the ego to kind of go like no i can't be a writer anymore i'm a teacher and that is who i am until i learned that teaching is as being a teacher is as completely self-defining and if you're if you're a teacher and you're doing it right it's it's everything you live and breathe it and it's a job that never ends because when and it's, it's very fulfilling it is and it's also tremendously stressful and it's it consumes you you spend your time when you're not in your class much of it thinking about your students preparing for classes uh, even in the summer if you, you, um, in New York, we didn't finish a semester until almost July. And especially since I was a coach, I coached fencing. I created fencing teams and I coached fencing teams. So by the middle to the third week of August, I was back in the school, um, starting to work with my fencers. And right after Labor Day, school would start. So all of August was a prep month. So Maybe I had July, maybe. So it's it's very much a consuming profession, and in many ways, very very satisfying profession. And in some ways, I think I'm a better teacher than I'm a writer. 
I'm not sure what I've what what I found harder to do than <clears throat> flip the writer off and turn the teacher on is go the other way. And for the past five years, I've been teaching. I do some college teaching. I've taught um, at a couple of private schools in Richmond. But by and large, I'm trying to turn the writer back on. And it's fits and starts. There are moments when when it, it flies really well and the flow is really good. And then there are other times when it's not. All right. That was a calamity of hilariousness. Yeah, the intro was was fun. The interview was great, and yeah. Gary Cohn was awesome, and Casey was awesome as always. And man, I didn't realize how how much that um, Gary had written throughout the throughout not only just comics, yeah, but he's written Hardy Boy novels, Nancy yeah. Drew novels. I mean, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. Yeah, I used to listen. I used to uh, read the Hardy Boys oh, in elementary too. school. So I read I read Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew both of them. I was a nerd. I didn't read Nancy Drew, but I read the Hardy Boys. I love the Hardy Boys, man. Yeah, how come they don't do the Hardy Boys anymore? I don't know. Have you watched the, the new Nancy Drew TV show? I have watched some of it. Is it good? I mean, I liked what I saw, but I haven't. I think I've watched four or five episodes. I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it's your standard CW supernatural show. Right. It's well, it's a lot more. It, it's not your it's not your mom's Nancy Drew. No, no. It's very like a charmed supernatural Nancy yeah, Drew. Yeah, because actual supernatural stuff is happening. Yeah, I liked it, though. And the, the girl who plays Nancy Drew is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah I don't know. I, I've read a lot of Hardy Boys when I was growing up. And I'm kind of surprised no one's brought it back like in a comic book form and made it more contemporary and yeah. done kind of giving it that Riverdale makeover. Oh, I'm sure they will soon. I mean, now that I've just said it, it's, yeah. it's going to out there in the ether and someone's going to go, that's a great idea. You know, somebody, 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 one of our fans is listening. I say fans lightly, but one of our listeners is listening and they're going to go, hey, that's a good idea. And now next year is going to come out and the back of it's going to say, thanks for the country. Or it's not going to say nothing. They're going to make a million dollars after it. We're going to be like, oh, that was our idea. Look, I don't care if you make a million dollars. Just say thank you. Yeah. Just say thanks. Just say thanks. All, that's all I ask. <laughs> that's all I ask. <laughs> all right, guys. I think that's a show. Yeah, that's a show. Johnny. Yeah. Give them the spiel. The spiel. All right. Go to spoilerverse.com. Check out our show, Spoiler Country. I almost said our show, Spoilerverse, whatever. Check out our show, Spoiler Country. Check out my other show, Haphazard Adventures, and my other other show, White to Sierra Radio. Check out our sister shows, Prison the Geek Dumps, Nerdtocalypse, and Funny Book Forensics, Narrative Gunslingers, and Nerds from the Crypt. And all the other shows we have there, shooting the sits about Star Wars. And then check out all the articles by Jay Roach and by Robert Savinsky and Colton Payne and or Colton Bird, depending on which day it is, and Sarah Kay and myself, and sometimes Kendrick when he feels like it. And they're just and, and David writing reviews and, and doing his quarantine adventure stuff. There's so much stuff there. And while you're there, click on that store button, go to our store, pick up a t-shirt, pick up a something, and it helps us keep the lights on. We get a couple dollars out of it, it helps us pay the bills. Pick us something. I don't care what it is. You get a sticker, get a face mask, get whatever. Helps pay the bills, keep the show going, you know, keep everything going with uh, our paying our hosting fees and equipment fees. It's it, it really helps out. And then go to your podcatcher, type in Spoiler Country, hit subscribe, download all the episodes, give us a review. Tell us, I mean, we don't, a lot of people say, you know, give us only five stars. Honestly, give us an honest review. If we're five stars, we're great, awesome. If we're only four stars, write a review and tell us why. Because I want to know why. I want you to give us honest reviews. That's what I want. Because one, it helps other people find us, and it helps us grow and be better as a podcast. Yeah, and besides, you can't be all things to all people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I prefer honest honest reviews. Right? All right, guys. I think that's a great spiel. Thank you, Johnny. Yep. And don't forget, Nelson's a podcast. We are the Let's do what compels you to do. Open the mind and read more.